Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass, as Jesus went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do ask for the blessing of your spirit upon the preaching of your word. We ask that you would open our ears and our hearts that we would receive it. And we ask that you would give your servant utterance as I preach. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke, we continue to see that much of this Gospel shows us the opposition and the conflict that Jesus encounters. He has already faced opposition, and this is the focus of his journey toward Jerusalem. Jesus faces great obstacles, great contradiction. Here in this chapter 14, this whole section belongs together and there are a number of wonderful warnings and teachings of the Lord Jesus for our benefit here. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 3 says this, that the Lord Jesus Christ endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. We find that the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and his ministry faced many contradictions, many oppositions. Christ endured the contradiction of sinners. He was patient in all manner of opposition, whatever was leveled against him. But the Lord Jesus Christ endured these things for our sake, for our benefit. This contradiction of which the uh, writer of Hebrews describes there in chapter 12 and verse 3 is any kind of opposition that one may encounter. Jesus encountered in his ministry bitter, hard, and cruel sufferings. He faced hostility and opposition. And the Lord Jesus Christ here in the passage before us. Continues to face opposition 
from perhaps the most unlikely place, and that is the religious leaders and teachers of his day. Here in the passage before us, and we will not look at all of this today, but we'll look at this over the next number of weeks. But there are a number, actually there are four scenes. Verses 1 through 24 are one continual theme of Jesus in the house of this Pharisee and the encounter that he has with this Pharisee. And in these four scenes, verses 1 through 6, verses 7 through 11, verses 12 through 15, and verses 16 through 24, we see the selfishness of those who regard themselves as teachers, as leaders of Israel, as those who give obedience to the law of God. And so here we come to this passage that speaks about the selfishness of man in relationship to his religion. Perhaps we've never thought of that before, and it it comes out clearly in this text, but you see the selfishness of these Pharisees, scribes, lawyers. When it comes to religion, they are very selfish. When it comes to their humility, to their positions, to their priority, Within Israel, they are very selfish. Consider only themselves. But here as Jesus comes to this house, to one of the chief Pharisees, he confronts the selfishness of vain and false religion. We live in a day when when people say that Well, I'm not really religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And all of us, all human beings, follow one religion or another. They follow the true religion that we find in Scripture, or they follow their own man-made way and tradition. And these Pharisees followed a man-made religion. They followed a religion that suited themselves. They followed a religion that showed their self-righteousness, their selfishness, their desire only for themselves. And so here as we consider our passage this morning, three things I'd like to address as Jesus confronts the relationship of these scribes to their selfish and vain religion. First of all, we see the graciousness of our Savior. Here our text begins by saying it came to pass that as he went into the house of one of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. We see three ways from our text how the Lord Jesus Christ is gracious. First of all, he is gracious and we perhaps have not seen this before as we've looked at this perhaps many times. But the Lord Jesus Christ is gracious in accepting the invitation of this Pharisee to eat bread with him on the Sabbath. Now you have to remember that you had to be invited. You couldn't just walk up to the Pharisee and say, 
hey, I'm in town today. I'm going to be um, preaching in the local synagogue, and so I'm going to come and dine with you. That was unheard of. In fact, that would have, that would have been very offensive to invite yourself. But here the Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him on the Sabbath. And this was perhaps a synagogue as he's making his way through the village of Perea toward the end of his earthly ministry. And as he's making his way there on the Sabbath day, he comes not only to worship with the local synagogue, but to dine with this Pharisee. Now it's interesting because you know the reputation of Pharisees. You know the reputation of the scribes and religious leaders in that day. And most of us would say, no thank you, I'm not able to dine today or whatever excuse we might give. We would be reticent to accept the invitation of this man. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, having already faced opposition from religious leaders, already faced opposition from Pharisees and scribes, comes and receives the invitation of this chief of Pharisees. To eat bread on the Sabbath day means that you were invited to dine at that table that you were invited into that intimate fellowship and communion with them. And here the Lord Jesus Christ enters into that room, into that house to eat bread on the Sabbath day. And Jesus graciously accepts that dinner invitation. He could have refused it. He could have turned away. He could have been like some of us. Well, you know what? They're not good enough for me. But Jesus willingly and graciously went into that home and dined with that Pharisee. Knowing full well in His divinity, in His divine mind, He knew fully well what was going to happen. He knew that they were going to to come against him. They knew that they were going to despise him. He knew exactly what would happen and what would take place. And yet he graciously went and ate and dined with this Pharisee. Now there were others there. It's not just the Pharisee that he's dining with. But there were others there. And so he ate and broke bread with these Pharisees who were self-righteous, who were selfish, who had no regard for the law of God or for anyone but themselves. But Jesus graciously accepts this invitation to dine with them. The Lord Jesus Christ in His interaction, in His human interaction with these Pharisees and lawyers was gracious and kind. And here the Lord Jesus eats with sinners 
and dines with them. We've seen this already. We'll see it again. This is what they accused him of. He eats and drinks with sinners. But they didn't regard themselves as sinners. But everybody else that he ate and drank with were sinners. And he graciously sat down at a table where there was hostility and strife. Can you imagine going to a meal and perhaps you've I've had this occasion. You've gone to a meal, whether it's a family member, and you sit there and you're eating and your stomach turns into knots and you feel like you're getting ulcers because you know there's just a tension in the air, you can cut it with a knife. That's the scene here. And Jesus is there eating with those who are ready to kill him, ready to to trick him. And yet he graciously sits down and dines with them. But not only do we see the graciousness of the Lord Jesus in accepting this invitation, but we see his patience toward his enemies. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is fully man in his full humanity, was without sin. He never sinned once in his attitude toward his enemies. He never sinned once in his mannerism or the things that he said. We can see our patience run thin toward our enemies. But the Lord Jesus Christ was patient. On the Sabbath day, the conversation at that table would have revolved around the law of God around the duty that was required of them. There was no frivolous conversation. And yet he sits down and dines with them, even as they violate the law of God, and has great patience toward them. But not only do we see the graciousness of our Savior in accepting this invitation, of his patience toward his enemies, but we see the graciousness of our Savior in his mercy toward this man with the dropsy. This is the only account in Luke's gospel, in any of the gospels, where we hear about dropsy. And you might think, what in the world is dropsy? Dropsy is nothing more than edema. If you know what edema is. It was an accumulation of water, or fluid that built up in the tissues of the body. And oftentimes you would see it in the swelling. Of the legs and the feet. The dropsy historically has always been associated with some kind of issue related to the heart. And historically this has been common even in the 15 and 1600s. But this man, the text tells us, was before them, and he had the dropsy. But again, notice the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ toward those that he encountered. As this man stands before him who had the dropsy, Jesus heals him. Verse 4. The text tells us that he took him. That is, he took him by the hand. That was not something you did 
in that culture. Particularly to touch someone who had an infirmity. But he took him by the hand. And he healed him. And the scripture says he let him go. And that idea of letting him go shows that the Lord Jesus Christ released him. That the bondage that was in his body was released. He was let go to serve the Lord his God. Oh, how often times we fail to see how gracious our Savior is. And you know how gracious our Savior is. We see it so often times in Scripture. But it so often times becomes common. Oh yes, He's gracious to us. But we fail to see in our relationship to religion how gracious and compassionate our Savior is toward us. And in this we find the lesson of how we are to treat others. Particularly our enemies. We've come off of an election season. And it's so easy for us to show disdain for our enemies. Particularly those who rule over us. But we see the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the lesson that we are called to be patient. Even with one another. And even toward our enemies. Oh that we would have a religion. Not centered on self. But centered on the gracious mercy. That the Lord Jesus Christ has. For his people. But secondly we see the malice. Of our Savior's enemies. As I said, the, the tension was building at the meal. And yet Jesus graciously dines there. Now we see the malicious intent of his enemies. Notice at the end of verse 1, as he's dining at the table, remember that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the Sabbath law. He did not violate it or break it in one point. And so as he comes to dine, he perfectly keeps the Sabbath day holy. And as he's eating with them, they're watching him. They're looking. The text says they watched him. That is the lawyers, the Pharisees. Those who are gathered in that room. Why were they watching him? He had just opened the scroll in the Sabbath service. He had just expounded the word of God. And now they're watching him. They're watching him like a hawk to see. Is he going to violate our standard? Is he going to do something contrary? To the word of God. And so they're watching him. Not only are they watching him. But they're ready. To lay a trap for him. Verse 2 says that there was a certain man. Before him. This man that had the dropsy. He's standing there. 
before Jesus. Where did he come from? He would not have been invited to this meal. His body was filled with fluid. According to the old ceremonial law of the Old Testament, he was impure. You could not touch the unclean thing. Yet Jesus touched him. But as this man is standing there, he was not invited. He didn't show up. He was planted there. And oftentimes people will argue over, well, was he really planted there or did he just show up or what was the case? But here we see that he stood before Jesus. Notice our text tells us in verse 2, Behold, a word that is often used in the Old Testament to draw our attention to something that's important. Behold, there's a certain man standing before Jesus. And they planted him there because they knew that he would heal the man. They wanted the occasion to despise him, to speak against him. How do we know that? Well, there's three occasions. Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 13, where Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath day. And so we've seen this already. And as this man is standing there, the tension is building. The tension is building among the scribes and Pharisees. They are filled with rage. Particularly as this man is standing there and he immediately heals them. Oh, how often the enemies of God can be filled with malice and hate toward us. We see their tenseness. We see their rage. We see the fact that they do not particularly like the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to upset their religious customs. And yet we see the malice that they have, the, the hatred that they have toward the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that here in the text before us. As this man is standing there, Jesus doesn't heal him till after he asks this question. But there in verse 3, Jesus answering spoke unto the lawyers, that is the scribes and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? He hasn't even done anything. He hasn't even touched this man who has the dropsy. And yet Jesus asks, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? That's the question. And you would think that they would say, well, well, yeah, but you'd think they'd have a response. But notice the response. They held their peace. They wouldn't say anything. As they're holding their peace, they're seething with silent rage. How dare he ask that question? 
And as he healed him, Jesus answers and asks another question. Which of you who has an ass or an ox, or some translations might say a son, that has fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out? Notice again the response. Twice. They could not answer him again to these things. We see this so often in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that he asks pointed, direct questions. And they could never give a response. They had no response. They couldn't rightly answer him. Because in their hard-hearted hearts, they knew that what he did was right. And yet it goes against their religious customs. And not only do we see the malice of the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the proper regard that the Lord Jesus has for the Sabbath. Jesus shows us here in this text three things in regard to Sabbath worship. First of all, he shows the right use of it. Secondly, he shows his own observance of the day. And thirdly, he rescues it from their own self-interests. The Sabbath has always been a source of controversy in the life of the church. But you know what? It was a source of controversy here. The Pharisees have nothing to say in regard to Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. But as the Lord Jesus continues in His dialogue with them in this house of the Pharisee, we find that he comes in conflict with them regarding the right use of the Sabbath day. Now they had done right in preparing their meal before the Sabbath. And notice it says that they ate bread. There wasn't a lot of preparation. There wasn't a lot of of fanfare. It wasn't a... um, celebration it was just simply a sabbath meal but here's the lord jesus christ shows them how they are to regard the sabbath he shows the right use of it and we see that in the question he asks there in verse three is it lawful to heal on the sabbath day and then he asked them the question that should have just caused the veins in their neck to pop. Which of you, having a son or an ox or an ass that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not go and pull him out? He knew good and well that they would do that. But isn't that an act of mercy? Isn't that a good and proper thing to do on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath? And Jesus reminds us here 
that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus shows them that by this warning, he focuses on their own regard for the Sabbath. They do not have any regard for the day because the day took on more of a form, more of a ritual, really didn't get at the heart. True saving religion is not just formality. It's not outward performance, but it's a matter of the heart. And if the heart is not engaged, if the heart is not changed, then the outward performance becomes only a selfish act. We, like the Pharisees and scribes, can have an orthodoxy that can be dressed up. Oh, look how good we are. No one really knows the heart. These Pharisees and scribes manipulated their own convictions of God. They oftentimes wanted God to do what they wanted Him to do. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ shows us that the Sabbath day is a day to do good and not evil. There was a pastor in the Church of Scotland in, in um, the 1950s, Dr. William Still. He had ministered for most of his life in Western Scotland. And as he reflects upon the scene of the Lord Jesus Christ here with the Pharisees and scribes, he says that the better the day, the better the deed. In other words, if the deed that is done on that day is right and holy and in accordance with God's word, the day is better. And sometimes, like here in our text, the Sabbath day can be a horrible day because the deeds we do on it are not good deeds. They may not be unlawful deeds, but they're certainly unlawful deeds on that particular day. But William still says regarding these scribes and Pharisees that they were all about outward performance. They were all about the way that the day should be observed. And Jesus upset their whole religious system. The Lord's day, the Sabbath day, is a reminder to us and Jesus demonstrates it here. That it is a day of rest. It is a day of worship. When you go back to the Genesis account of the six days of creation. Notice each day of creation. It says there was evening and there was morning. The first day. Evening and morning the second day. 
it comes to the seventh day when the Lord blessed the day and made it holy. There's no mention of evening and morning in relation to the creation of the Sabbath day. Because the Sabbath day does not end. It continues in to eternity. And in that Genesis account, when the Lord God blessed the seventh day, it was a sign of that eternal Sabbath that was never to end. The early church called the Sabbath day the queen of days. The Sabbath is the path that leads to the celestial city where we enjoy for eternity the rest that Christ gives. Because these Pharisees and scribes were so selfish and self-centered and self-righteous, they had no regard for the Sabbath because they didn't find the day to be a day of rest, to be a day of worship, to be a day which they thought about that journey to the celestial city. But here the Lord Jesus teaches us that the Sabbath is to be called a day of delight. It is to be a day in which we find rest for our weary souls. His Sabbath, His work, was in keeping with the law. Because Jesus, by doing good and showing mercy, teaches us that the Sabbath day is a day for us to do what is good and merciful. He sees this man in need, and he shows mercy. He anticipates his needs. He anticipates the complaint of the people. And Luke gives us a warning here that our focus on self-interest in worship, that our self-interest on our own position and our own state is really a denial of the gospel. And yet the Lord Jesus came to grant grace and mercy to sinners so that he might free us to serve God and to serve others. And the Sabbath day, and today is a day to remind us that we are to be rescued from our own self-interest, that we're to be rescued from our own self-righteousness so that we can use the day for the benefit of man for the souls of those entrusted to our care. As William still reflects upon this passage, he says that the enemies of God distorted the word of God and distorted the proper use of the law. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ gives the proper interpretation when he sums up the law in two commands. Love God and love neighbor. And Jesus shows in his mercy toward this man with the dropsy that we are called to love him 
and love our neighbor. William still said something that I just found absolutely astounding. He says, oftentimes we're not very efficient in our work. Perhaps we don't find delight in it. We don't find joy in it. We feel inefficient. But he says, rest is the best work that is to be done. Because in rest, we find efficiency to do the work that God has called us to do. Jesus found efficiency from rest. He took those occasions to pray. He took those occasions to be alone with God. And he was more efficient in his work. And yet the the Sabbath day is a day that frees us from our regular labor. So that we might rest. And find that's the best work that we can do on that day. And so as we consider the passage before us, perhaps we need to examine our own hearts and see, does my religion need rescuing from the bondage to self-interest? Does my religion need rescuing from the bondage to form, ritual? Does my religion need rescuing? Because only through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ can we find rest. And can we find delight. There is a passage in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 58. Verses 13 and 14. And this is in the Old Testament. But there in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor him not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thy own words. Then shall thou delight thyself in the Lord. I will cause him to ride upon high places of the earth and to feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The keeping of the Sabbath is not the legalistic observance that we find in the scribes and Pharisees. But it is a means of grace. For us to enjoy the presence of God. To delight in Him. To find care and provision for our souls. And if our only desire is just to fulfill an hour on the Lord's Day morning. And then to go off and do our own thing. We're not finding the Sabbath a delight. And so as William still says, the better the day, the better the deed. Because the deeds done on the Lord's day should further our sanctification and our holiness. By way of application, as I thought upon this this week, how can we turn our Sabbath days into a spiritual benefit? 
Oh, now the pastor's gone from preaching to meddling. How often do we sit around a table and eat a meal and have no conversation about spiritual things? How often do we sit down and dialogue with one another and not ask, how are you doing? How's your week been? How often do we turn our conversation to politics? How often do we turn our attention to rising gas prices? To rising fuel costs? To the football game? Or to the basketball game? And yet little of our attention is drawn to how we might benefit one another. If our Sabbaths were a day of delight, if our Sabbaths, Sabbaths were free of the burden and the self-righteousness and the self-interests, then we would find the day to be a delight, a day that would bring joy to the soul. Is your Sabbath day a delight? Do you find joy in the day? Or you just want to get it over with? Perhaps with having children, it's a drudgery to drag them out of bed in the morning to get them ready to... We're going to church today. Oh, okay. Perhaps we have to drag ourselves out of bed sometimes. But Jesus gives us the warning that if our focus is on our own self-interests, if our focus is only on ourselves and not on the worship and the glory of God and the mercy and grace that we show to others, then we deny the gospel. Denial of the gospel is not having right interests concerning the kingdom of God. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ frees us by His grace that we might serve Him and one another. So how do we serve each other? How do we better serve one another? The writer of Hebrews says that we are to stir ourselves up to love and good deeds by our meeting together. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God and the sanctification of sinners. I conclude with that word of exhortation from Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Are you weary today? Do you find yourself fainting? Literally, under a weight of so many things. Jesus endured every conflict, every suffering, so that you might not be weary in doing well. So that you might not faint under the pressures of life. So that you might serve Him with joy and to serve others as He has called us to do. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know the one who has come to condescend to sinners? 
to take upon himself your sin to give you his righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ has promised rest for our souls. And that is the best work that's ever done. And let us together give glory to this God who indeed is doing a wonderful work in our midst. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do come in praise and adoration this morning for your goodness and your kindness toward us. We confess that we deserve nothing good from you. And yet on this day you remind us that this is indeed a good day. It's the better day because the better deed has been done. And on this day you have shown us that you have been raised from the dead never to die again so that we might not die. Oh Lord God, we do pray that you would make this day a day of delight. That you would make this a day of joy. That you would make this the better day. Because you have blessed it. Bless this word to our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.